Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's podcast, director and comedian Matt Vesely joins me to discuss his new film, Monolith. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I consistently star in a one-person movie in my head here on Big Squid. nice to have your company again. I saw Matt Vesely's film in Sydney last night and loved it. So the conversation is split into two parts. One is spoiler free and then there will be a little break before continuing the conversation with spoilers. If you have an opportunity to check out this Australian film, it opens this Thursday on the 26th of October in select cinemas. And I'd love you to check it out. Uh, Matt shares some details on where you can see it towards the end of the chat. Uh, When I say it's Matt's film, it's uh, Matt and his team's film uh, that audio production is out of control good and uh, Lily Sullivan is just magnificent in the lead role and uh, I really dug it I really dug it and it's been a stressful couple of weeks as uh, a lot of you would be aware and it was nice to lose myself in a movie uh, that was so well made and you know what fucking nice one Adelaide you know, I felt uh, quite proud of uh, that little uh, part of it as well. So congratulations to everyone who have uh, really made something that feels different as well. That's what I really dug. It just had a different flavour to it, just had a different vibe. It didn't feel by the numbers and I think they've done a great job with it. Uh, before we bring Matt in, just uh, a reminder that... 
the next few chapters of The Ultimate, which is a long-form story I have written and have been producing here on the Big Squid feed. It's under the Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted banner. That's the storytelling uh, banner that we have here. And uh, the next podcast will come out tomorrow. And if you haven't been listening, uh, the first two podcasts came out over the last two weeks. It's about an over-the-hill Australian rocker who's trying to get his life together and he's just a bit of a mess, you know? Just a bit fucking get-your-shit-together kind of guy, you know? But, you know, he he needs to sort himself out. The people around him that he loves are just having a time of it as well, and he's got his old bandmates looming on the horizon, and while he's trying to get his shit together, he's having these strange dreams, and this this recurring dream about a world full of superheroes trapped in a dystopian future, and it's it's kind of horrific, because well, essentially what he's dreaming is like a, a Zack Snyder kind of JLA world, but kind of even more so than that. So he's not wrapped and it's too much for him. And this story is a lot of fun. And uh, in a way, it's a bit of a love letter to my time in Melbourne as well. Uh, the lead character has his own comic shop, which was inspired by my friends, Mitch and Troy, who have all-star comics in Melbourne. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I've been producing them. Uh, the first two podcasts are up. The next one will be out tomorrow. You can listen to it weekly and uh, you can wait, you know, and you can binge it if you like. I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying the weekly vibe to it. And from uh, the feedback I've been getting, uh, the, the it seems like you are as well. But um, anyway, keep an eye out for that. Now it's time to meet a journalist who is struggling with a recent misstep in her career. While she recovers at her parents' home, she begins to work on a podcast that investigates the weird and the unexplained. And soon she discovers a story about a strange artifact that might not just be alien, but also appearing all over the world. It is time to enter the world of Monolith. Something awful is coming, truly. I had a very strange dream, but it felt real, a vision. What's this for again? It's for a podcast. You have to stop what you're doing. You are in danger. This is a good story. I've got, I've got good numbers and people are really listening. Do you really believe this? Or do you just want to believe it? I want to know why you're here and what you want from me. From us. I can sense him. Some kind of sick trick. I listened to the new episode and you sounded kind of messed up. Really got under your skin, haven't you? Please, help me. I can't keep living like this. Please. I want to tell you a story. All you have to do is listen. I'm throwing you under the bus a little bit here, but we did a stand-up gig together recently. Yes. And uh, 
I feel like you're up to the task. Yeah. So, you know, we had Barben op- uh, Barbenheimer yeah. recently mm-hmm. and uh, I was just seeing, you know, Taylor Swift movie has come out uh, and uh, Killers of the Flower Moon and I feel yeah. like they've missed a surefire bet yeah, to do yeah. the Sweeney. Yeah. Like, have them at the same time. Yeah. Could have uh, fed off each <laughs> other. Right, yeah, yeah. like you know, haven't yeah. we learned anything? Like, yeah, this is a, this is how you market shit now. Yeah. What kind of movie would you like to have Monolith alongside? To, Paired with, yeah, to I get th- that double advertising. Well, yeah, you can't have it be too similar, right? I think it right. needs to be a really a really f- dumb romantic comedy, something really right. light and fun. Or maybe even like kind of bad. Maybe that would be nice so that we could come on top. Oh, right. Oh, you don't want them to both be quality? I guess that did help them, didn't it? Yeah. That did help Barbenheimer. So maybe it's got to be a really like great, you know, like the big sick that came out a few years ago? Yes. You know, something like that. Mono sick. Yeah. Mono sick (laughs) is good. Yeah, yeah. Big lift. (laughs) The big lift. Big lift. Yeah, yeah. That'll work. That would have been a perfect weekend. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I said in the introduction, which I haven't recorded yet, but yeah. I will in the future, yeah. just in case you, you know. It's the magic of podcasting. No, non-linear storytelling. It's, yeah, it's yeah. happening all around us. Um, <laughs> I love the movie and I'm going to uh, talk broadly yep. to begin with because there's stuff I want to ask you, but part of the joy of the film was knowing very little yep. and having it unfold before you. So uh, we'll talk broadly and then we'll uh, I'll, I'll get nerdy if yep. that's all right. Yeah, sounds good. Um Sensational uh, uh, pacing. Like, I, I was so drawn in and I was uh, locked in right from the get-go. And I, I, when I bring up this director, I don't necessarily mean, like, his tics and mannerisms. But, you know, David Lynch will let a scene play out. And uh, I loved the uh, how long something would take in a scene. Was that a stylistic choice or was that, uh, you know, you, you said in the Q&A last night you had 15 days to film yeah. this. Was that uh, because of, you know, the time constraints? Like, wh- How did you come up uh, with that approach? It's a combination of both. So the script, you know, as we talked about last night, and the, the script was developed in a, a lab setting where you kind of knew that um, what your budget would be in the end. So you're kind of right. writing to fit a schedule that you know you're going to have. Mm. So it was always we knew that. But we we were sort of prepared for that. So those yep. we're, we're coming in knowing how we're going to make this film work, which is that it's going to be a series of quite long conversations, um, longer scenes, not a whole, not a lot of scenes because that slows down your schedule. So mm. we sort of know that sort of stuff. Yep. But in terms of the aesthetically, yeah, it's a lot of like long takes, a lot of um, yeah. uh, not much coverage in a scene. Might do There's a 10-minute scene and we might have f- three or four different shots. It'll cut a bit more than that, but there's only three or four different angles. Right. And that was an aesthetic choice. I was really influenced by... Um, it's a Michael Haneke film called Cachet, Hidden. Yes, right. Which is a beautiful film that has some thematic resonances with Monolith, actually. And he has I was this trying to remember that last night yeah, when I got yeah. back. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, wonderful. It's a really yeah. cool film. And you'll see, and you'll be like, oh, I see. Because I yeah. think, I don't think Lucy had seen that one when she first started writing. We'd watched a different Haneke film called The Seventh Continent that has a similar kind of style. Right. Um, but once she started writing, I was like, oh, you've got to watch Cachet because there's this like, yeah, there's this dovetailing of, of thematic. But he does this thing of like he presents 
abject horrible things in mm. a very plain way. He just mm. sort of like puts the camera down and lets them play out. Yeah. Um, n- not flashy, not trying to, um, you know, over-dramatize any of this stuff. They kind of just lets it happen and it's kind of more terrifying as a result. So I was really interested in that and letting the film feel kind of observational in some way that yes. you feel like the voice of the filmmaker sitting there over your shoulder kind of directing you. It's a film about a podcaster who is investigating a bunch of stories she doesn't know whether she can believe eventually we start to think maybe we can't trust the podcaster who's telling Mm. us the story and that extra layer of like there's a filmmaker that we don't know whether we can trust am i like fucking with you because i've picked some shots that appear to be like someone watching or appear to be um like something horror movie is about to happen but they're not um and it's all just about kind of that 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 uh contract between uh, a viewer or a reader or a listener and the storyteller and how that can be manipulated. So oh, yeah, that was the kind of theory behind it. And I just don't like things that cut very much, to be honest. I yeah. like things that, as you say, the pacing is so important and it just helps you build tension when you can make those cuts really meaningful. And I was super lucky to work with an editor, Tanya Nimi, who did um, all of Rolf Tahir's films or a bunch of his films. Right. She's an incredibly experienced editor um, and I loved working with her. And so um, I had someone in my corner on yep. that part that was just um she was such a big supporter of us doing things differently and she was yeah. like never let anyone tell you what to do matt she was so good um so yeah big big uh ups to tanya as well you know as a guy making his uh, first film having an experienced editor is perfect it's like you've yeah. got the you got the super coach in the background kind of thing isn't it yeah totally and we and most of the heads of department were they're probably more experienced than me, but like still in the kind of, you know, the early stages of their career. Yeah. Wonderful cinematographer, Mike Tassari, great production designer, Jonah Booth Remmers, sound designer, Lee Kenyon. We're all like relatively new. Yeah. Um, and it was a, fil- you know, this whole endeavor of this film lab that it came out of was about getting South Australian creatives, particularly heads of department to like, you know, get their name, get their runs mm, on the board. Yeah. Um, but to have like, a f- you know, a f- in a few key areas, you know, our, you know, um, the the mixer of the film, Pete Smith and Mike Darren, the, they're like incredibly experienced. The editor, Tanya Nimi, just some people that can like guide you in that process. It's yeah. like, man, it, invaluable. There was, far out, there's so many things that are coming to mind. There's, uh, the cinematography is gorgeous and there's a uh, one point where the, the, the scene in the foreground is quite still. But if you look, by beyond uh, that and into the background outside, you can see the trees blowing gently, yeah. and it's it, it adds to this dreamlike quality of what you're watching. Also, some of your placement of Lily in a in a in a shot speaks exactly to that because I'd be sitting there watching her in this specific position, thinking, "What's fucking gonna come through the window? Yeah, you know, exactly. like yeah, what's yeah. gonna come up behind?" Yeah, and so there was this mounting dread I had all the way through the film and it was great because there were literally, and I'm 51 so I use the word literally correctly, <laughs> yep. literally two times where I felt the skin on my calf muscles ripple all the way up across my arms with Love that oh, kind yeah. of feeling. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's because you kept just giving me these, these references and never 
never paying them off until you were ready to do it. Yeah. And it, it hits you in the chest, you know? Yeah, we should say to people listening who might be wanting to see the film, it does, things do happen eventually. And, yes. And it is about that thing of like, I really love, my favourite film of the last 10 years is The Witch. And... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love that movie, and and uh, the probably the biggest yeah. influence on this film from that movie is nothing aesthetic or narrative, but the structure of that film, where it does this thing where it's like it's an hour of like an hour and fifteen minutes of like pretty slow burn, letting yes. you kind of sink, yes. and then the last fifteen minutes is just like just right. like rat- ratchets up, and that was something that I obsessed damn. with. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I love that feeling. You know, but I think you're. Being a little bit funny as well. There's like anyone watching it. There is stuff happening all the time. You have to pay attention though. Like if you're paying attention, there's revelations happening. You know, consistently throughout the film, but it's uh, revelations that speak to character. Yeah, and that was big on Lucy Campbell, the writer. We, yeah. we, she and I talked a lot about how every scene, as much as they're long scenes, they, they really do have to have turning points constantly. There has to be a sense of escalation. And as you say, it's mostly about character. It's mostly about revealing Lily and, yeah. and, and the sort of story turning from outwards as she's interviewing these people outside to realising that the story is going to become her story. And yes. sort of hit about the halfway mark and that becomes quite evident. But yeah, I think I think Lucy has done a really good job of... As much as there, there are these long scenes with a lot of dialogue, the story is constantly moving forward in, mm. in small and big ways. And while, while the kind of physical action is, is at the end, I think there's a psychological arc that is constantly building through the film. Mm. Um, so I think all of those scenes, they all add something. They're never, there's no redundancy, I don't think. And that's no. a testament to Lucy's work. She's really... Um, uh, she, I mean, she's a fantastic writer, but she's very specific in that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she really doles it out. And there's, there's, uh, you know, for, as I said uh, at the beginning, I'm not going to give away spoilers, but I will say for when people see it, please keep an eye out for the food that's being delivered. Keep an, yep. uh, an eye on the fridge. Yep. Keep an eye on the tank. Yep. You know, there is specific things happening, you know, the window with the post-it notes, yeah. just the specificity of what is happening in every scene. Uh, and then, of course, you know, like, of course you pay attention to dialogue, but uh, yeah. if you're looking around Lily, you will see the progression as it's happening. And we talked a lot about that because a lot of these one-character films, something like The Guilty, the Danish film, um, which is, is about a 911 operator who's right. like, he's got a... Um, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a Jake Gyllenhaal remake, which apparently is not very good, but the original is amazing. Right. And he and he's uh, investigating like a kidnapping. T- someone calls him on his. He's a, on the phone, you know, in the in the you know call center, and says they're being kidnapped. And so the film is about there's this real time event that's mm. like dragging you through it. Something like Tom Hardy's lock is similar. He's like all yes. happening in the moment. It's real yeah. time in the and car. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and our film. Uh, doesn't have that. It's all about like people regaling stories from their past and things slowly building up. And so it was really important that that visually there was sense of escalation and change because we don't have that kind of like really like the guilty is so simply shot. There's like not a lot going on visually in that film. It doesn't need to because it's just mm. got this like click 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 of the story. And so we worked. So stuff like the you say the uh, food being delivered in the fridge, all that mm. stuff, that's in the script. Like Lucy had that yeah. in the script. Um, and then Mike and I, the cinematographer, kind of w- we escalated that with and working with Jonah, the production designer, to f- to make sure that basically we divided the film into chapters. 
um, and had really clear visual rules for each chapter and there'd be clear turning points in the script. So it starts off, there's no picture in the first chapter. It's mm. literally black. Yeah. Then we can't see Lily's face for the second chapter. Then, you know, she receives a, a strange email and we suddenly see her face and just the camera can't move, but then it can start to move. Then she's less in the center of frame. The more the edge of frame, eventually it's handheld. Mm. Production design's doing the same thing where her world's sort of very, it's a very kind of um, austere house, but eventually that starts to break down. Mm. And just to have that sense of escalation through the film, because we don't, because we can't rely on kind of um, the pure tension of, of like, oh my God, someone's dying in the off camera, like right now, you've got to fix right. it, you've got to fix it. So we're trying to find other ways to kind of have the, the film feel like it um, was changing and constantly building. Yeah. How long is the movie? It's like 93 minutes, I think. Yeah, it feels, it, it does not, it feels even a little bit quicker than that. You know, for a movie that is just one person, like, yeah. it, like I figured it must be around that mark, but if you, it felt about, 65, 70 minutes to me. Yeah, cool. You know, and I, I know I'm sounding pedantic with that, but it just moves along at a rapid pace yeah. considering it is a movie that has a definitively languid approach in many ways. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, a film with one person probably wouldn't hold. You couldn't do a two-hour film. Well, you probably, probably could, but like we didn't yeah. want to. Yeah. Um, there's something punchy about that. And we've been playing yeah. a lot of festivals and I think you go to film festivals and there's a lot of films that are around 90 minutes. I think first-time yeah. filmmakers like that, but I think there's also something about the... Um, how you can kind of just you can hold that in your head and mm. and as you say that the films kind of come in and they like make their point and leave that I think is really important. So you uh, you worked with uh, Lucy and your producer Bettina, yeah, uh, really uh, right from the get go of yep. putting this together. What um uh what ideas did you want to bring? to the uh, the movie that you got to keep and what were some of the things that, you know, Lucy and Bettina looked at you and went, eh, maybe not. Because it's <laughs> um, always fascinating because, you, know, yeah. no, you know, working with a good team, the, the things that you lose are often defining for what you end up with. Yeah, there wasn't a lot actually that we argued about because we were so, we worked so intimately together. So, you know, the idea was I, I basically I pitched a, a one-page idea to them about um, a psychologist interviewing a series of interviews a psychologist interviewing people after an alien abduction. That was like the right. first idea, and it was Bettina who was like, "What about a podcaster?" It was Lucy who came up with these bricks. So it's like all of us kind right. of like gradually building this thing together. Lucy and I broke the structure together. Like we mm. sat with a whiteboard and did the kind of turning points, and then Lucy went away, and all the characters and and stuff are hers, and so that you you kind of just back and forthing constantly through development which meant that we were really on the same page when we get to shoot it's like yeah and and i'm already talking about when we're starting to develop i'm talking about um how i'd like to shoot it so things like you know when she's hearing these stories of, of from these different people around the world we go to these visions we kind of go to these strange shots empty hallways and mm. strange bathroom full of black water and yeah um that that was stuff that i came up with during the writing process so they're scripted but that was because Lucy had written these long stories and I was like, oh, I've got this idea. Like when we shoot them, we should have these like shots with mm. no people in them, but they're like these long kind of interesting that kind of speak to how Lily is thinking about what she's seeing when she's hearing these stories. Yeah. And then Lucy was like, oh, that sounds cool and came up with these three things. So that back and forth, man, there wasn't a heap of it. There, there's one shot and this is like a mild spoiler, but you'll, you'll remember there's a shot where we cut outside and we see this huge kind of brick looming over yeah, the house. Yeah, That's one that's not scripted. That's one that I always said I wanted to do. And to this day, 
Lucy and Bettina don't <laughs> love that Oh, shot. don't they? Right. But they let me get away with it. And I... Um, Every time anyone comes up to me at a screening, and it happens both ways, I should say. Some people are like, I don't get that. But I get a lot of people come up to me and they'll go, oh, I just thought that shot was so interesting and like it evoked something in me. And every time I give a little sideways glance to Lucy and Bettina, like, <laughs> and, then, and then if someone comes up and says something negative, you say, hey, just come over here and talk to me yeah, about yeah, yeah, that one-on-one. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't need to hear this, yeah. But that's, um, uh, you know, I like it when a movie maker makes a choice. I like a choice yeah. in a film. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't always mean you have to be on board with the choice, but I like a choice because there's so many totally. films that wash over you where you where yeah. you feel like, were, were there any choices made or did we all just... And we, yeah, we, we were sort of aware as well. And the South Australian Film Corporation and the Adelaide Film Festival who financed the film were so good with us that like, this is a low budget film. It's our first film. If we ever get a bigger budget again, mm. there'll be a lot of people telling us what we can and can't do. Mm. And on this film, we kind of had free reign to do whatever we want. So the opening of the film is Damon Harriman telling this kind of red herring of a story yeah. over black, over no picture. And, yeah. the, and the film corporation sort of said to us, guys, like, it's cool, but but you're going to struggle to sell this to a stream. Like, that'll be hard because someone like mm. Netflix, like, they need the first three minutes to pop. And yeah. it's really cool. I think as an audience, it's a it's a really interesting moment. It's a choice, as you yeah. say, but it does not a visual. You know, if you're just like got that on in the background on your Netflix, you're like, oh, what? This isn't even a movie, <laughs> right? So just right. Turn it off. You'd be behind the TV going, hey, yeah, 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 something's happening? wrong. Yeah, that's why you make sure there's like logos and titles before that. Well, you also like if it's the the, the reveal of what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like you know, like as someone who works with these all the time, I was yeah, wrapped. Yeah. I was like, I yes. immediately got what it was. Yeah, there's a. Uh, I know that. Yeah, we won't ruin it, but it'll, it'll get. It. But you know. <laughs> Like it was choices like that that we were like, look, we 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 toyed with taking it out. Yeah. And like the beginning is probably the only part of the film that we cut and recut and cut and recut. The rest of it's pretty close to the script. But the first like fifteen minutes, we like we played did a lot of versions. And in the end of the day, we were like, nah, man, like let's make the choice. Let's make the bold choice because yeah, we may never get to do it again. And yeah, yeah, it sets up the whole film. I think. Well, that, that's 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 part of what I loved about it is that it didn't feel like. Like I've seen, like uh, like I think I've seen what ninety movies this year, and Jeez. yeah, that like, is impressive, mate. I'm I'm single. The, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got a nine month old baby. That makes it yeah harder. That makes it a bit yeah, harder, yeah. doesn't it? But the um, but like so many of them drift away after a while, and yeah. you know it's uh, you know people you, you you'll see something you go did I see that and you look at your little <laughs> list oh, I did see that yeah ah oh, yeah that sums it up yeah. Uh, yeah. you know I uh, it's funny now that you're now that you're in the movie making world I'll I'll be much more polite while you're here and I'll I'll, I'll let the listeners know what I'm talking about <laughs> afterwards but there was yeah. a horror movie I saw recently that was you know like a ninety minute hour forty or whatever and. It felt longer than Killers of the Flower Moon or Oppenheimer to yeah, me. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like, what is happening here? You know, it's yeah. uh, they they they're kind of. It felt like the hits rather than having bold choices yeah. made, and that's part of what draws you into your film is that it's so different and it's not it's sitting next to a, it's not being created by a, an algorithm from a yeah. streaming site that yeah, says, yeah. you know, because now you see. Um, there's, there's shows that you watch where, what's the one on Amazon? Is it Open Range? Which is oh, I haven't watched that, but it looks cool. Like, but, it, but it's, it's like it feels like you know how Amazon pushes things through the AI yeah. generator and tells you what works and everything, and it's it it feels like uh, do you like Lost? Here's a pit. 
Do you like cow? Do you like Yellowstone? Here's cowboys. Yeah. Do you yeah, like yeah. singing? Well, here's a guy who sings karaoke. Do you like murder mysteries? Yeah. <laughs> You're okay. sitting there going. Part of what makes it fun is it's fucking bonkers. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I you made me laugh yesterday because in the Q and A, and I'm sure people thought you were some people. I, I think a lot of people got the joke, but. Like, almost the worst thing that could happen to your career now is that you're handed a Star Wars project or a Marvel uh, project. And yeah, I, I yeah. get exactly where you're coming from, where it's like, well, I, I want your film. I don't want you, you know, shepherding someone else's idea of a film. Oh, I think, and look, it, that, that's not a realistic thing anyway, but it no, does but, happen to some, like, you know, you see some um, well, first-time filmmakers who, like, they get offered a big thing. Yeah. Um, if their film really pops, which, you know, Monolith, we're really proud of. It hasn't, you know, it hasn't, like, set the world on fire. But that's okay. We're happy with that. But I think, it, for me, it's, it's like, not just about that. It's also about, like, one of the great things about Monolith was just creatively, I wasn't biting off more than I could chew as a first-time mm. filmmaker, too. It's like, I've only got one actor I've got to, like, really concentrate on. Mm. You know, there's this one conceit of it's one person in this one location and every choice I'm making and with the whole crew is about servicing that one thing. Mm. And so I felt really on top of it. I didn't feel at sea. I felt really like I could make clear decisions and I was confident in what I was doing the whole time. And I think you can see that on screen. So it's like the next film I'd like to step up gradually and hopefully we get to make a next film because the, the statistics on first-time filmmakers making a second film is grim. Right. But assuming I get to do it, it'd be great to step up gradually so I can still feel that level of like, Okay, I know what I'm doing, and like I feel okay about this, and I can. I, I'm not just just trying to make it mm. work. I'm being creative at all times. Yeah, because that was the great thing about Monolith. It was not like we weren't up against it. It wasn't like shit. So many shoots you're on are just like just what can we do to get it done in the schedule? Yes, and we never felt like that. We were always like, okay, what's the kind of most interesting thing we can do right now? Yeah, um, which is a wonderful feeling. The um, Lily. Talked a little bit about this last night as well, but one of the things I was crazy impressed by is, and once again, it's she's a really good listener. Yeah, like when she's listening, yeah, yeah, you can, you can. She's quite clearly listening, but you can clearly see cogs in her head working, and 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 uh, like I was fascinated by that because she has to do. Like she has to do a lot of listening because she's on, you know, on the phone or she's recording podcasts with people who are somewhere else. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, like, how do you, as a director, well, there must have been times when, like, how do you say to someone, "Hey, you need to listen harder." <laughs> you know, how do you give that kind of direction? Yeah, I mean, it's all about um, giving them actions, actually, like giving right. them things to do. And so, there's a, there's a, the one I remember most is the, I think the second phone call she has in the film is with this art, this German art collector, Klaus. And um, the really clear direction there was like, let yourself be charmed by this guy. Mm. Like, let him charm you. You like talking to this guy. What does that feel like? And as soon as, you know, you give that note, you can see her shift and find that feeling. And I remember that was one where Lucy, the writer, was the script supervisor on set. So we were both behind the split and we were watching this, a really tight shot on her for that conversation and this was maybe three or four days into the shoot and I remember we were watching that and as you say it's when she's listening and her face is really taking that stuff in that we could not keep our eyes off the screen Mm. like it was she was so captivating that moment and there was this moment we were like I turned to Lucy and we were like holy shit like yeah we've got the right woman here like oh she's so charismatic yeah yeah incredible and so um 
we've, geez, we were very lucky to get her. But I think she talks about, she talked about this last night, that she found the challenge of normally, obviously, she's acting with someone. And the way we did it is we had this wonderful actor, Ansuya Nathan, who plays Paula oh, in the film. Ansuya. Yeah, you know Ansuya? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I only just recently yeah. found out that she'd been in Adelaide and nobody... Uh, you know when everyone just kind of thinks... She's done all the comedy know, stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's through Claire Hooper. Yeah, of course. You know, and so is the best. And then yeah. then someone said, oh, you know, she's been in Adelaide. I was like, what do you... What, what, what? No, I had no idea. She's there for about 18 months or a couple right. of years or something. Yeah. Kills me. Yeah, she anyway, rules. She's anyway, great. Yeah, she's excellent. And she was working with us at Closer, the, the company I work with. And yeah. just made sense to... And she's a writer, and like yeah. so. So what we did is she understands story. So what we did is we got her on set to do all the voices, so that she was literally piped in from another room into Lily's headphones, so that like we couldn't really afford to have all our cast there. We were still casting those roles. Mm. We didn't want a recording because that's really hard. I did a short film, Sister Mary, which is about a robot talking to David Quirk, mm. and David is a wonderful <laughs> actor. But I pre-recorded the robot because it has this like flashing voice box that needed to be triggered on set. And poor Dave, it was like. You could see it was so hard mm. for him to work with someone who could give him like like I just push a button and it does the same thing every time. So I was yeah. like, can't pre-record, can't do that. So we got Ansuya to kind of be there, and what that meant is because we we recorded Ansuya, but obviously replacing a lot of it apart from the character that she plays. But Lil could ask for things for Ansuya that maybe we wouldn't do right. in the actual take. Just for, just to give her something to work. So she'd do things like, hey, Ansuya, in this one, can you really yell at me on this line? Mm. And that may not be what I want, but it's just giving Lily what she needs to kind of mm. find the feeling in that moment. And she talked a lot last night about how she's a very physical actor. She like she just likes to feel things in her body rather than over-intellectualize things. So, yeah. so she needs someone to like like yell at her so she can feel that kind of, you know, that catch in her chest. Um and so that was a really positive experience, I think. And Ansuya was like fantastic at that. So, yeah. and I didn't feel like I had to um, talk to Ansuya too much, to be honest, because I just knew she understood story. She knows what has to happen. Yeah. And just very occasionally, I'd go in and like ask her to do something slightly differently, just so that Lily will do something slightly different. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting about how physical she is as well, because part of what makes her performance really captivating is she's incredibly still, but it doesn't feel relaxed yeah like she feels frayed you know the her character's been through the ringer already it's mm. there's an exhaustion to her uh, yeah. but um but it's yeah that's a really interesting it's almost like the i remember years ago james Kant talking about making misery and you know he's so <laughs> fucking twitchy and then yeah, he has yeah. to lay in bed that whole time yeah and it and it, and it it comes through, yeah, you know, yeah, in that yeah. Performance, and yeah. she's got a she's got that similar thing of being on edge, but where is she meant to express it? There's no one to express it to. Yeah, and she would do things like do push ups before a take where she's just sitting there talking on the phone. Right, know? she still wants to like have a fight or flight, like her, her adrenaline pumping or whatever yeah. it is to give her that stuff. And we shot not completely chronologically, but relatively. You know, the first week was the first third of the film, and the second week, you know. Within the days, not. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. But gradually across the the shoot, yes, yeah. chronologically. So you watch the takes from the end of the shoot and compare mm. them to the first. She looks so different. Kaz Gower, our makeup artist, and and Renata Hitchke, our costume designer, did great things to kind of feel the change in her, mm. but also Lily's performance. And I think that chronological stuff again allows her to just feel that way. She's mm. starting to kind of fucking lose her mind in real life because mm. she's just been acting for three weeks with no one else, yeah. just staring at a wall yeah. while the rest of the crew is just kind of like huddled around her in this like in this house. So um, yeah, anything you can do to support the actor, it's like the only thing that matters. So yeah. that was my main job was not giving notes because they're long scenes. You can't be like, okay, on this line, I want you to, you know, a little bit, but not much. It was mostly just about supporting the environment around her yeah. so she can do the things she needs to do. Yeah. Hang on. We're, so let me just mark down. We're 28 minutes in. Yeah. And I, I want to get into spoilers. Whoa. Now, mate, mm-hmm. I had such a good time. Cool. I had such a good time at your film and then I came home and I fucking thought about it heaps. Okay, and cool. Then I sat here like a fucking lonely man on a Saturday night thinking, yeah. thank fuck I have this podcast tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, there was... Uh, so, some of the things that I found fascinating was that I just kind of... I, I kind of felt the sci-fi side. Like you said, you think of it as a science fiction film. Yeah. I felt the sci-fi, but I also keenly felt the horror. But it's, you know, I, I got out Alan Moore's Providence. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it felt like, uh, I don't know what the intention was. It didn't feel like an alien invasion from planet over there. It felt like alien invasion from somewhere we don't really understand yeah, yeah, coming yeah. into our world, coming in at different points as well because they probably have a different concept of what our timeline and yeah, our yeah. reality is. Yeah. And I fucking loved it because also the re- the reveal of the brick was nothing like what I pictured in my head. Uh, cool. So when I saw the brick, yeah. it was fucking disgusting, man. Yeah, and yeah, I loved yeah. it. Yeah, cool. Because <laughs> I was thinking of something like or like when you the description of it is like it's it's gonna be like like a dwarf star kind of condensed into this hard, smooth yeah, thing. Yeah. And when you see it it's like it's it's it feels like someone's been chewing on a jubilee it's a bit decided or, it's organic no good. and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. We, we play with that um of, of whether it should be like a 
you know, a very smooth kind of like more manufactured thing. Yeah. And sometimes I kind of wish we'd done that. They would have felt quite alien as well. But I think, you know, what we landed on in the day was that it should feel like it came from her. You know, that it's yeah. like something, it's like a part of her that's kind yeah. of congealed or something. Yeah. I mean, not specifically Providence, but definitely that Lovecraftian kind of yeah. cosmic horror thing is something I'm obsessed with. I love like Junji Ito and um, just the uncanny horror that we can't, fully understand yeah or fully describe is definitely a feeling that i love and that we wanted to evoke and you know lucy particularly has a quite the other thing that we're really concerned with is like i hate horror movies where it's just the metaphor like the metaphor is fine and we want the film to be about something but Mm. you kind of want like you want the scary thing to be really happening you Mm. know like yeah and so it was really important to Lucy and I that like, yeah, yeah. And then at the end, some fucking shit goes down, you know, and yes. this is like really happening um, and that you, it can exist on two levels. It can exist on that metaphor or the thematic level, but it, the top layer can be like, you can plot out like what's happened and what this invasion mm. looks like. Um, and so some of that stuff, you know, the specifics of how that's working, uh, Lucy's got an answer to. Some of it is like stuff that is you can pick out from the film, but you might not. And some of it's stuff that we're okay with you not understanding. And mm. I think, again, it's just like that feeling of like asking questions and wanting to wanting to know the answer, but never quite being given it and having to bring your own interpretation to it. That resonates with the theme about truth and the, you know, the privilege of owning a story and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And there's, there's something fascinating about Lucy where, you know, like you quite clearly with what you give us at the start, you're on her side. She's, been hard done by with with some situation uh with this uh with this journalist kind of thing and then then as a as it plays out first thing i think i said to you before we started recording i I looked at the house that you picked that she's in and i immediately just went oh she comes from money exactly yeah and then that's really important yeah and uh, as it plays out you you know it it, the, the metaphor i was taking from it is and when she comes face to face with, you know, the horror of it all is that she has to, she has to face who she really is, and she's been living a life that she's been feeling pretty, you know, on yeah. top of everything, and that she's right. And then in the end, she literally is face to face with how awful she is. Exactly. In many ways. And, exactly and, and it still yeah. works as the metaphor. Exactly, and that's yeah. the idea of. Um, she kind of thinks she's one of the good guys for so long and that yes. kind of turning around and being like, you're actually part of the problem is, you know, something I think we're all grappling with at the moment, particularly us middle-class white folks are kind of mm. recognising that um, we can be allies, but we still we still have that privilege and that, that how much we've benefited from that is um, can be very confronting and that, and that is a part of the story that we wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly the experience that Lily's character kind of goes through, as you say. And and I think that is an important part of it as well, is to give a really clear kind of character arc to the film. That that was probably the one thing. The, the first draft of the, of the script was actually very strong and, like, narratively was kind of all there. Mm. And the things that built in the drafts, the subsequent drafts as we, as we were going to write, as we were going to shoot, were that character stuff. Like, making that really clear, finding a really clear trajectory, trajectory for her. Yeah. Filling in those little pieces of backstory. There's not too much of it, but enough so you can kind of understand. The, I mean, the house is, like, in a really important character. We, the first houses we were looking at was originally set on the coast with, like, these great limestone cliffs in South Australia. Mm. 
um, which have amazing views, and that was the theory. We couldn't quite find a house that spoke to that privilege so quickly. Right. And you kind of you want that turning point to be really acute. Like the moment it's about 20 minutes into the film, she steps out of her recording booth into the rest of the house. Right. And you're like, whoa, look at this house. Yeah. And you need that to feel that. So Scott McCartney, our locations manager, I said to him, like, just go find me the most amazing house you can <laughs> and he, he succeeded he over delivered yeah. like it's and, crazy yeah yeah and the the, the family that um, we hired the house from uh, were so lovely and accommodating to us I think they're very proud of their house as they should be it yeah. is beautiful um, <laughs> but yeah it uh, we were very lucky to get that. It adds production value to the film too. It's like yeah. a cheap movie, but in this incredible location with all this light and amazing angles that you can do. So we're so lucky that they agreed to it. And I'm guessing those blinds are theirs as well. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. once again, sometimes when those slow, while the scene is happening and Lily's talking, you're watching the blinds go up in yeah, the background, yeah. like you're feeling anxious about what's going to be there. Yeah. Also, you know, it's, it's a brick. Yeah. Like I'm... Like, looking back on it and knowing that you did this is for a good, tight budget, of course, you weren't going to smash a window, but it's a brick. Yeah. Like you kept, I kept waiting for a brick <laughs> to come through the window. I never thought of that. Yeah, window, totally. You know, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I had that anxiety all the way yeah. through. Um, I, uh, wait, wait, so... Those windows, that's like Portuguese imported glass, these giant sheets. There's no way we're throwing a brick through it. I'm I'm, I'm surprised you even put the post-it notes on it. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very nervous all the time. Be very careful taking that off. Yeah, yeah. um, Was it always... A brick, or was it? Uh, was did you have a different shape in mind at all? Or the, well, the original pitch, and one of the reasons it's called Monolith is because at the time, like twenty twenty one, late twenty twenty, maybe mm. there was. I don't even remember that. Like someone was putting up all these two thousand one style monoliths around the world. They kept appearing in like these metal plinths. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Just in, like uh, the and desert in Arizona. Yeah, and people are like what is this? And yeah. all around the world. And did anyone ever explain? that? I can't remember. I think no. they probably. Did. I mean, I it, you know, it was just someone doing a kind of art. Yeah installation prank thing but yeah it was good though it was cool yeah. and originally our idea for this film that we first pitched was like she's that's what she's investigating and then it turns right. out maybe it's real what seems like an art prank turns out there's a, a truth to it yeah and we lost that eventually and lucy came up with the bricks actually quite quickly mm. but we kept the title because there's like a thematic feeling of you know monolithic power structure or something mm. and they're still obviously these little objects um that felt right but that, i think you know how you you mentioned the idea of uh, like having something smooth. It was, yeah, uh, but I I think because of two thousand one, that's what I was kind of picturing. Yeah, and, totally. And, yeah. and then to have this thing where, like, like if I if I saw it here now, I wouldn't touch it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Gross. Yeah, it yeah. looks it looked like it stank as well. We put a lot of goo on it too. Yeah, yeah. Like just blood and so yeah. I so I really like that the. Um, also, so uh, recently I had to fly to uh, overseas. I went to South Korea and uh, I just rewatched. You know, when you you have all these plans of all the things you're going to do on the flight, and then yeah. you, then you look on the uh, in-house entertainment, and it was like season one of True Detective. I was like, oh, no, I'm going back into this bad boy. Yep. And oh, so, uh, good. Uh, so <laughs> like, still. Still one of my favourite things. But yeah. one of the things that was in my head from that while I was watching yours is there's that point where McConaughey is really upsetting Harrelson at the Christian revival yeah, where yeah. he talks about religion being a, a language virus. Yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's something there's there's something of that for me in, in your movie as well, of language being a virus and that's how 
you know, whatever this thing is, is going to be spreading. And yeah. I, I just started in my head projecting that at some point, all these bricks will become the monolith as well. Yeah, yeah. The the language virus thing, I mean, there's obviously a, like a... Um, that's about... we When we started writing the film, we were like, you know, it's 2021 and and everyone's talking about post-truth and mm. fake news and, and mm. all this stuff and conspiracy theories, QAnon's blowing up. Yeah. There's this sense that um, you have a great responsibility in, in, in spreading anything, you know? Like, and as a podcaster, she deals with the kind of great challenge of like, I could make the thing that I know people will want to listen to or I can make the thing that is more reflective of the truth. Right. And she struggles with that. Right. Um, and so we were really interested in the way, yeah, the way language and the way communication has changed. And, mm. it, and it's so fraught now. Like, it's so cliche to talk about post-truth. And I'm really glad that um, Lucy actually found a different thematic about this thing about privilege and class that really holds mm. the film together because I think that post-truth thing is a bit pat now it's just kind of been overdone but it's still present in the film of this idea of like um, you know how can we believe anything that we hear and like how mm. do, and it's like a thing that kids going through school now are going to have to learn they're going to have to teach them to be much more critical of the sources that they're getting in a right. way that we didn't have to when we were kids we're just like if we read a book and it's been published well, that's the fucking truth. Yeah. And the early days of the internet, even mostly you were like, well, I can go to this website and that's probably the truth. And now it's like, you can't even believe the videos that you see. They're right. probably fake. And it's, um, yeah, it's super terrifying. Oh, even yeah. just suggestions on Instagram. And then yeah. it's like, you know, uh, recently, uh, what did I click on? I clicked on a Stranger Things because uh, it was like an article about that. And then, of course, you start getting so all, all the actors and uh, involved in that start being suggested that you want to see. Yeah. And then there was uh, one of uh, Millie Brown where you look and you go, that doesn't seem right. And yeah. then you're looking, you're going, that's not her body. Yeah, That's yeah. not her body. That yeah, is yeah. quite clearly someone. And that's just flicking through, not giving a shit. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. I think people have lost the ability to, like, you have we have to encourage people to cross-reference. Like, you can't just read something and go, yep, that's the truth. What you've got to do is look at something over here and look at something over here and read something here and, you know, it takes up more time, but you have to... You're going to have to do it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite a process now to kind of... But I think, you know, ha- having healthy scepticism is good. So yeah. you hope that especially the next generation will all be grow up sceptics. I think it's probably in our generations that it's like, a little bit harder because we because we've had that period where we can trust things. Mm. We're probably more easily manipulated than the younger kids. I reckon. Well, the the, the funny thing is, uh, you know, like so Gen X was not you know ask questions, but what what happens over time is you know the the militant conservative right takes the interesting side of the left and co ops it. So, once upon a time, in the 90s, the reason the X-Files takes off is that Mulder's our guy. Like, yeah, Mulder's, yeah. Mulder's representing everything that, you know, he is questioning the truth and he's do, he's yeah. digging into it. But now... He'd be an alt-right champion, wouldn't he? Paul he'd be Paul's an alt-right... Ch- like, yeah. And that's why you can't bring the X-Files back. Yeah, yeah, it's, totally. It's done. It's cooked. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and we, we talked about this in the making of this film because there there, we're talking about the danger of conspiracy, but, of course, at the end, it's some of it's proven correct in this yeah. film. And, yeah. that, and we've had people... We've had reviewers kind of... Um, 
bring that up and be like, well, aren't you just part of the problem? I guess my counter argument to that would be that we'd much prefer a film that you have to talk about and provokes a response and means you have to have a discussion about these issues mm. rather than one that really plainly just goes conspiracy, bad, um, truth, real, the right. end. You know, it's like it's just that there's not like I don't think that's as powerful as presenting you with something that um, you have to kind of like figure out and talk about this stuff. Even if you go, well, isn't the ending of the film kind of like reinforcing some of those dangerous ideas? And we go, yeah, maybe it is. What does that mean? Let's talk about that. Um, I think that's just a more interesting way to go. I also think it means you can smuggle those ideas into kind of what is a genre film as well. Like people can have fun watching the movie, but it's still talking about that stuff. Yeah. Well, everyone's actions are, questionable in in some way even the you know the the young girl that you know was blamed for everything yeah like you know her actions are questionable uh the the dad who you look at and you think wow that was an awful way to deal with that but yeah. also he was pretty freaked out yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And he was thinking you know he believed his daughter yeah. so hang on well he loved his daughter and he believed what she said so yeah. You know, it's it's not it's not black and white, which is yeah. what makes it really interesting. Exactly, and I think I think the place of film is not to be um, like a school lesson. The place of film is to be interesting yeah. and provoke a conversation. It's to, it's to talk about that stuff in a conversational way or an argumentative way or a way that yeah. provokes you. Um, and so, yeah, it's a funny, like, I get the argument that, like, are we part of the problem by making a film about a conspiracy that turns out to be true? Right. But, like, at the same time, I just think if, you made, if we made it the other way, it would feel like, um, a, you know, a back-to-school special or something, and, and you'd just be like, well, that's, okay, cool, thanks. For well, that. it's, and then it was all a dream. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's kind of what it was, yeah, if, yeah. You, if you do it that way. So, yeah. you're kind of damned if you do it, damned if you don't, in, yeah, in, in yeah, that yeah. regard. Uh, it was interesting. Have you seen Killers of the Flower Moon? No, not yet. yet. No, can't. Uh, it, it's it's funny. I, I I'm going to speak broadly because you haven't seen it yet. But there was a criticism leveled at it that uh, like one of the main characters was shown to have, um, in in regards to some critics, too much empathy. And mm-hmm. it's funny. I I didn't read that all the way through the film. Yeah. I I read that this character was quite awful. And, you know, you, you can kind of have... I, I don't think having moments of realisation actually speak to the greater idea of empathy. Mm-hmm. He says trying to be broad, not to... Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, I think her character, you know, she has moments where the truth is hitting her, but then you can see her almost pushing it aside. And yeah. I, I think it's really fascinating that when <laughs> when she <laughs> vomits up that brick, and then, we, by the way, the, the, the scene that was the highlight of the movie for me was when Lily looks in and can see that there's this new version of her growing. Yeah, yeah. And the way her head turns back and the look on her face of, fuck this. Yeah, you know, yeah. Is, it's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's, that's the best comedy. Uh, yeah. The best horror is yeah. kind of gives you that reaction of fu- like it's funny but it's also horrific because it's yeah. also truthful you know yeah, yeah um it's fascinating that when she comes face to face with this version of herself her instinct is to run yeah 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 you know rather than than face it down you exactly, know yeah um yeah i i thought it was great <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah really i really loved it and you know the so the the manifestation of the giant kind of monolith 
brick over over the house. Um, I, it, it, I, I'm not asking for intentions. I, I read that as metaphor. Yeah. That's how I read it. Like, yeah. you know, this thing is looming. Yeah. But also because I was using that, um, my approach while watching the film was whatever is coming is viewing where we live at such a different vantage point. It's yeah. coming in at, you know, it's coming in at the, in the past and it's coming in through the future and it's coming through now. And so it's just kind of, you know, yeah. that, that's how it's manifesting. I mean, I have my own version of what that shot is, but yeah. but actually your job as a filmmaker is to be as much as you can in control of the audience's experience of the mm. film. And so it's less about you going, what am I saying with this? And more mm. about what is the, what are the possible things that the audience could take in this moment? Mm. And how can I make sure it's leaning one way or the other or, what do I want them to feel? How? What do I want them to be thinking about in this particular moment? And as you say, the whole reason that shot is there is to, like, at that moment in the film where we're at, because it's about, it's not quite halfway, um, I want you to be asking a bunch of questions about what am I seeing and what yeah. does it mean? Yeah. Like, that's actually all I really care about is yeah. like, I want you to have that feeling. So you going, okay, what does that mean? And, like, and like try, and having these different interpretations of it. That, yeah. That's... That's the only experience I want you to have. Which whichever ones you find is up to you. Yeah, but that's totally the like point of it. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna call Bettina now and say, yeah. "Come on, Bettina. Come on, it's pretty cool. Come on, yeah. he nailed it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm also obsessed with that movie, um, <laughs> Enemy. Dennis Villeneuve. Yes, yeah, yeah. It has yeah. these like fucking huge spiders. Just that you're yeah. like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I love that feeling. Mate, yeah. you just made the hairs rise on my arm again. That Dude. is such a. Yeah, I just rewatched so that again. Yeah, not that long ago actually, yeah. and you know. There's some movies, uh, like I actually emailed Bettina last night. And, she said, yeah, yeah. And I said I was like really looking forward to waking up at, you know, 2.30 in the morning and reminding myself that I'm nominally a grown-up and I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool, like, I, I, you know, and we met doing comedy and, yeah. um, you know, my shorts. So they're science fiction, but they're comedies. Yeah. And this doing like a, like ostensibly a horror movie or at least a thriller, you mm. know, um, was so fun. It yeah. was so fun not having to try to be funny or just having to, you know, have fun moments of levity for sure. Mm. But being out of when when we wanted to be like strange or um or scary or full of dread, we kind of just lean so hard into that, like really go for it. Was felt very freeing actually. Yeah, I was nervous about it. I remember the other two ideas we brought into the lab were genre comedies. Right. One was a um like a horror comedy about an influencer who has to hide that her influencer husband is turning into like a Lovecraftian like Cronenberg-esque monster <laughs> I still might make that one that's kind of cool and the other one was a um, was a yeah, like a he's, time he's kind of becoming who he really is exactly physically. Yeah, exactly that's yeah, great yeah. just like she's like, like trying to hide that you know yeah. and then the other one was like a time travel movie about a talking toaster or something it was just ridiculous but <laughs> Monolith was clearly the one that everyone thought was cool. They were yeah. about, like in the lab, like our mentors and stuff were like, oh, well, you know, they wouldn't tell us what to do, but they were like, yeah. that was our first job was to pick which one we wanted to develop. And I said to Bettina, I was like, I'm, you know, haven't I done comedy? Isn't that what I should be doing? And she, she said to me, okay, like, well, let's do an exercise. You have to answer without thinking. If you could have directed any movie in history, what would it have been? And I said, Alien, without even a beat, like just Alien, of course. Yeah. It's the best movie ever. And yeah. she was like, cool, well, we'll do this one. Great. Yeah. Man, good response. Yeah. The, uh, 
So you're an alien guy over aliens. Way, way, yeah. Same. By, by like a like by like a wide margin. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I love that. Uh, uh, that that once again, it's got that uh, definitive build, and you know, and then not seeing much. And well, the first half, I think, the, literally the midpoint is the alien bursting out of the chest. Yeah, and I think that that first half of that movie. Especially like the second half's great as well, but the first mm. half I think is perfect. Yeah, it's just it's so chilling. Yeah, and it like slow build, and then it allows you to have this amazing second half where things really kind of kick off. But fuck, man, that just that whole getting to the planet, like when they wake up, it's yeah. so slow how they wake up, and then you get to the planet and the way they explore the, you know, the engineer's ship and everything. It's just yeah. mesmerizing. The uh, there's you know you must have been like me where as a kid you know. Like I, I, I rewatch Prometheus every eighteen months in the hope that yeah, it's, it, it's pretty cool. Actually, the cool yeah. stuff in it is cool. Yes, absolutely. That is the perfect way to describe it. Because I thought about after seeing Alien, you know, as a youngster, I thought about what the fuck was that thing? Yeah. What was it flying around in? What burst out of its chest? Yeah. Like it must have been massive, you know. Yeah, like yeah. and uh, the. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's one of those movies that because it engages the imagination so much, you start to, you know, like I remembered it having like pyramids in it with hieroglyphics and things like that. But I <laughs> yeah, reckon yeah. it was looking at Geiger's artwork and other things and then, you your know, your, kind your of imagination yeah. just builds this other world. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think um, I, now that you've brought up Alien, I can, uh, I can feel, you know, the mythology of whatever you and Lucy have created is definitively there because it's like I did the same thing with this. You yeah, know, yeah. I was trying to work it out and I was creating my own mythology of what yeah. I thought might be going on. And I actually think that's the great tragedy of Prometheus and Covenant was um, that the whole reason why the first Alien works is that that stuff is unknowable. Mm. Like where that came from mm. and who that engineer is and what that ship is. Mm. And like to explain it, and it sort of works on its own merits. Like, you mm. know, they sort of work, you know, the the twist that David has created, the virus or whatever, is relatively cool within the context of Covenant. Mm. But, like, it just completely ruins what makes Alien great, which is that you can never know what that is. Yeah. And all you can know is that the outcome of it is this alien killing people on a spaceship. Like, yeah, yeah. So cool. It's such um, a cool feeling. Matt, I could keep talking to you, but you have to catch a flight. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how? Uh, so the movie's released this Thursday, October twenty sixth. That's that correct. correct. Yeah, yeah. And uh, can you uh, let us know? And I'll, I'll put this up on the uh, Facebook page as well, so people can uh, easily find this information. But uh, where where can people uh, check your film out? Yeah, we can edit this part out. Let me grab the email. Oh, mate, you've, you've obviously not listened to this podcast. There's very little editing going on. Well, that's cool. We'll then make they'll enjoy out. this bit of like behind the scenes. Um, fair. I should know this. I know. If, I know. If no, there's playing. there's so many different places. And um, where are we? Um, I saw it at uh, Dendy Newtown. It will be playing at Dendy Newtown in, in um, Sydney, which was great. Uh, I feel like in Adelaide, it was... We're playing in the Piccadilly and the uh, Wallace Piccadilly and Wallace Mitchum in Adelaide and Wallace Mount Barker. Here we go. I've found oh, the list. Yeah. I should... As you were out promoting a film, you really should know this stuff. But yeah, South Australia, it's the Wallace Piccadilly. Um, and... Oh, I don't think... It, maybe it's not... Oh, no, 
No, it is. Yeah, Mitchum and the Victor Cinema down in Victor Harbour. Oh, yeah, yeah. great. Because Bettina's from Victor Harbour, so she can play down there. New South Wales, Dendy Newtown. We're playing the Dendy Canberra as well. Yep. Backlot Cinema in WA. Deck Chair Cinema in the Northern Territory. I got a of lovely photo of that great... I think it's an outdoor cinema with the poster up. Looks mm. very cool. Um, in Queensland with the Dendy Corparo in Brisbane and, the, and Dendy Southport. And in Victoria, Cinema Nova, probably the best cinema in Australia, at least wow. has the best community. Like, what an amazing cinema. And the Sun Yarraville. Yeah. I'd like to see it at the Ritz here. Yeah. I think it would play really well at the Ritz. So, yeah. maybe, uh, you know, I'm off to see the new David Fincher film there on Wednesday night. I can't wait for that. So, I might, uh, Just you drop know. a hint, yeah. Yeah, like I'm sure I have heaps of pull. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, like I, I sign up annually. Surely they have to listen yeah, to something I suggest. Bring some flyers and just put them on the... I do stand-up there as well. Oh, well, come yeah, on. Come on, mate. Like, yeah. don't, don't you know who I am? Fucking yeah. put on monolith. At least let them, you know, you must get to like, you do a guest <laughs> program one night and even if it's in six months, you just play monolith. Yeah. You know, when they let it. Oh, mate, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. up with an excuse to fly up and talk more about the film. Fuck yeah. What's the, uh, before you go, what's the last thing that you saw that you really loved? God, it's been a weird year. Okay, yeah, I do have an answer. I went to Sitges, um, which is a genre festival in Spain. We mm-hmm. took a film there. Really cool festival. They call it the, I think they're tongue-in-cheek, but they call it the Khan of horror movies. And right. It's sort of got that vibe because you're on the Spanish coast. Yeah. And it's like beautiful Mediterranean ocean. And like when the Spanish films play, they're really glitzy Like because the cast all come. They're like fans are freaking out. And um, it was pretty amazing. It was a really fun festival. Um, but I saw this film called Le Chambers Rouge, The Red Rooms. It's a French-Canadian right. film yep. about um, a woman who's... It's sort of about... And this is like a real thing that happens when um, violent men or serial killers or people who've done these horrible things, they'll have um, kind of groupies that right. kind of, kind yes. of become obsessed yeah. with them. This happened yeah. with Columbine famously. Yep. And um, it's about a woman, a very strange woman who you don't have a lot of access to, who, who is obsessed with this guy who's on trial for a serial killing. Right. And wow. she, she's attending the trial every morning and you're just following this character and it is mind-blowing. It is kind of finchery. It's, they, they, they described it that way. Yeah. It's sort of like psychedelic French fincher or something. Great. With a bit of Lynchian kind of... The horror of the internet is really a big thing in it. The dark web and, um, man, it was something. Great. So hopefully that comes out in Australia. I've been telling people... Anyone I know in the industry to try to yep. distribute that here because it's very cool. We need to set up a festival in Cairns. We can call it the Khan of Khan, <laughs> yeah. as in come on, Khan of Cairns. The Can, Cairns. the Can Can, yeah, the Can Can, Can Can, Can Cairns. Yeah, Cairns. that'll work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All dancing movies. I have to say, if anyone gets to see you do stand up in the near future, strong as ever. Thanks, your, man. Your, your MCing in uh, Adelaide was fantastic. That was the best gig I've done in ages. What a fun right. show that was. Yeah, yeah, that was really really fun. You you. Fucking killed it. That was a fun night. Yeah, it was really fun. All right. Uh, I'm going to let you go because you have to catch a flight. Yep. Congratulations on the film. Thanks Pass for coming. my best to Lucy and everyone f- and, and tell them how much I loved it. And uh, everyone, get out there and, you know, like don't support it because it's Australian. Go and see it because it's fucking great. Yeah. If you like, you know, all our references are like the X-Files. and this. Yep. I basically just wanted to do an X-Files episode. I was a total X-Files kid. So if you like the X-Files, please come and see our movie. Great. Well done, mate. Thanks. Thanks to Matt for joining me today and inviting me last night to his screening. It was just fantastic. Uh, As I said earlier, the team have done such a great job. 
Lily Sullivan is overwhelmingly charismatic and compelling on the big screen. And it's out this Thursday, October 26th. So if you're looking to go to the movies and you'd like to see something, you know, please go and check this out. You know, I think you'll have a really good time. And uh, it's it's good to support the Australian uh, movie scene. And especially when it's something that is, you know, got a different flavour to it. A quick reminder before I go, over at Patreon, you can sign up to receive bonus podcasts and other goodies if you'd like to support this podcast and be able to access all the extra work I've done. uh, Please head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton and find a tier that suits you. That is patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton. And also keep an eye out tomorrow for the next podcast for my ongoing story the ultimate you'll be able to find it here under the banner of beautiful tales for the disenchanted oh and uh, one last thing uh, thank you to everyone who reached out about cal wilson in the last week i am still quite clearly coming to terms with it all but if you'd like to sort of know more of where i'm at uh i was asked to write a piece for the guardian about cal it's not you know, it had to be something that was personal but broad and talked about Cal and anyway, uh, if you'd like to know kind of more where I'm at at the moment with it, uh, you can find that online. It's, um, I'll speak more personally, you know, further down the track, but I really appreciate everyone who wrote to me and have said such lovely things about Dear Cal and uh, yeah it's been shared amongst the community and with her family as well so good on you people that's uh, it's been very sweet so and it's a it's it's a terrible loss oh Cal beautiful beautiful Cal thank you for listening to the podcast today and uh, if you get the opportunity to see Monolith please let me know that you checked it out and uh, I hope you have a good time until then I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.